Today's reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That's Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What is the secret to long life? You know, the answer to that question is not really a secret any longer because there's been mountains and mountains of evidence that point us to an answer. Research has consistently shown that the secret to long life is relationships. Relationships, yes. Deep, meaningful connections with other human beings is vital to long life. Hundreds upon hundreds of research has consistently shown that people who are more, who have more um, um, social connections live longer. And people who, who are more isolated or alone or lonely don't live as long. In fact, there is a study that was just featured in this article right here in 2022. So this article is about this study that showed that It's relationships, not genetics, that lengthen your life. And in that study, they found that strong social connections are linked to better physical and mental health, coping skills, sleep quality, and so on. Okay, But as Christians, though, this is not a surprise to us. Because we understand, we know, and we believe that we have a relational God Okay, this one God in three persons who is in community by himself because there's three persons in one God. This relational God created human beings to be like him, relational as well. And because we are made as relational beings, community is extremely important for us human beings. That's why there's the church. That's why as Christians, there's no There's no Lone Ranger Christians, or I'll do it all by myself. There's nothing like that. Right? That's why community is very important to us. Now, this year, our focus is spiritual growth and maturity. God desires that we grow in our faith. He doesn't want us to stay stagnant. He wants us to grow in our relationship with Him, to mature so that we become like His Son, Jesus Christ. In our head, our hearts, and our hands. Okay? In our understanding of the world, in our knowledge of the world, in our, uh, in our hearts, in our love for God and for one another, and in the work that we do. God desires that we become like His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is our discipleship. Okay? Discipleship is the process by which we grow and become transformed to become more and more Christ-like 
Again, this doesn't happen overnight. This happens in time. Okay? There's this, there's this thing that we do every day that we think that, you know, maturity is my goal. I, you know, we, God is growing me every single day. And we just have to be willing to appreciate and accept that. But our scripture reading this morning in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 connects discipleship with, you know, the secret to long life. Relationships. Discipleship is related to relationships. Okay? In our scripture reading this morning, we can see clearly that discipleship happens in community. You can't do this in the basement of your house and just stay there forever and say that you, that you love God and you love others and you're a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Discipleship, our spiritual growth, our becoming like Jesus, our transformation to becoming more and more like Jesus can only really effectively happen in community with other believers. This is what we see in the scripture reading this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42. And we are going to see how the early church did discipleship in community. And when we look into this, when we study this today, we're going to understand the key to, to their discipleship in community. We're going to understand the key to that. And the key to that, as we're going to see, is small communities or small groups of individual Christians coming together to do and live out their faith together in real life. That's what they did. Okay, you're probably thinking, well, that, that's, a, that's a big claim, Jay. Okay, that's fine. We're going to look at it in the, in the, in the scriptures and we're going to find out. Starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is what the early church did. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. So the first thing that we see here that the early church did was they studied God's word. They intently, together, devoted themselves to studying the word of God. That's the apostles' teaching. Okay? And then next, we're going to jump to also to verse 47 here. What they did together as well is they praised God together, they prayed together, and they broke bread together, which uh, is associated with the Lord's Supper that we just did uh, earlier. They did that together as a group. Okay, that's not something that they did just by themselves. They did it together. Okay? And then we see in verse 42 that they did this thing right here, fellowship. See, fellowship is this word that's really pregnant with meaning. Okay? For some, in some circles, I know in, in, perhaps in the churches of Christ or the churches that, are, that I've been a member of, okay, when we say fellowship, we're talking about like gathering together, right? Eating food and playing games or doing something together. That's fellowship. That's true, but here in Scripture, when we talk about fellowship, it's way deeper than that. Way deeper than that. So this word translated fellowship in the original Greek is this word right here. Can you guys read that? There you go. Can you guys say it with me? Koinonia. That's right. Koinonia. I want you guys to remember that. Because I want us today to remember when we say fellowship... 
we want, we want it to mean koinonia fellowship. Just like what the early church did. They didn't just eat together, played games together, watch movies together, you know, or ate a meal together. They practiced koinonia fellowship together. Okay, the concise Greek English dictionary describe this, describes this as this. Fellowship, the close association between persons, emphasizing what is common between them, sharing, contributing, giving, serving, as a result of such close relationships. Look at that. Look at the definition. Look at those terms. Close association. They're not just acquaintances. There's a close association there. They're not just, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, oh, how do you know, how, how do you know, how do you know Tim? Oh, I know him from church. They didn't say that. They were so close, closely related to each other. There's close relationships that say, well, oh, Tim, he's my brother in Christ. I just don't know him from church. He's my brother in Christ. They're close. Do you see that? Sharing, contributing, giving, serving. It's not like this passive thing that they come together and they go, yeah, what do you have for me today? What food are you going to feed me today? They contributed to this. They served one another. When they came together, they practiced what they knew of Christ. Right? Serving, giving, sacrificing. That's what they did. Now, how did this koinonia fellowship translate in their assembly? Well, we'll see that in verse 44. Okay? It says, all the believers were together. They were literally there in person. They were there for each other. They were present. It's amazing how, you know, you see in Acts 2 and in, in some other verses in the New Testament how the church, the early church were so united. They had unity. And you know, you look at this and you see this togetherness, you understand that the key to this unity is this togetherness, is this community. The key to unity is creating and building a community where they're together. Because it doesn't matter if you're diverse. If you're together, you're going to learn to love each other. Kind of like the first small group in the time of Jesus, okay? The 12 apostles. You know, they were so diverse in their beliefs. Like one of them is a tax collector. And another one was from this, uh, from this uh, sect of Jewish uh, religion that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. But they were all together. But they had this one common thing that they did and they were together. They were there for each other. Now, the next thing that they did was they had everything in common. Now, before we can understand this completely, we need to understand the background of Acts chapter 2. Okay? At the beginning of Acts, you know, we see Jesus, you know, Jesus, you know, died. We understand Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, right? That's part of, that's a big part of the good news. Jesus rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, he was with this, he showed himself to the disciples for 40 days. He was walking with them, giving them more instructions, 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being with somebody you know who died and then now is alive again? And you know that this person is God? That's what happened. But a few days uh, later, Jesus ascended into heaven. And a few days later, the, dis- the disciples, the first Christians, were gathered in the upper room. And there are 120 of them. Imagine a time when there's only 120 Christians on earth. We see this in scripture. I'll prove it to you. Acts 1 verse 15. After a few days, there was a meeting of the believers. There were about 120 of them. And on this day, it was called, do you remember, do you remember the feast? It's called Pentecost. This happened on Pentecost. Because when they were gathered together, all 120 of them, what happened? The Holy Spirit came down on them. The Holy Spirit indwelled all of them. And they were like, they were on fire. Do you guys remember that? Pentecost is this uh, Jewish feast. It, Pentecost literally means 50th. Okay, in Greek. So the, the Jews celebrated the 50 days after Passover. So you see all these Jewish people coming into Jerusalem to be, at, to be in the temple to celebrate Pentecost. Because that's what they did. Okay, these Jewish people were from all over the place, right? Imagine like, you know, if Pentecost, Jerusalem was in Winnipeg, people were coming in from like BC, from Alberta, from Texas, you know, from Europe somewhere, like they were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So in those times, there were, there were Jews, proselytes, like converted Jews and Jews who were born Jewish, Coming in from Saudi Arabia, from what's today Saudi Arabia, Syria, Jordan, I don't know, uh, Turkey, even Northern Africa, even Egypt. They're coming in and they were like there. But these Christians, uh, th- these Jewish people, they saw the effect of the Holy Spirit indwelling 120 disciples of Jesus. Do you guys remember what happened? These 120 disciples come out. Right, and they tell, and they proclaim the wonders of God in all these languages. And these Jewish pilgrims who were in Jerusalem were going, "What is going on? Why are these people from Jerusalem speaking my language? Why are they speaking Egyptian, Turkish, Arabic? What's happening?" Many of them were amazed. And many of them also were confused. Some of them are saying, well, these guys must be drunk. But the Apostle Peter, remember, he, he was just indwelled with the Holy Spirit, right? The Apostle Peter saw this as an opportunity to preach. Remember, the Apostle Peter was the same apostle that denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, right? But with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he saw this as an opportunity to preach Jesus Christ to them. And so he does that. And you know what happened afterwards? These people, these Jewish pilgrims said, man, what should we do in response to what you just told us? To this gospel that you told us, what shall we do? In Acts 2.38, Peter told them, repent and be baptized For the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. And so on that day. Okay remember. How many Christians were there. The morning of Pentecost. 
120. By evening, this happened. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to that number that day. 3,000. That's the church. That's the first congregation of the Lord's church right there. And our scripture reading today tells us exactly how they did church. How they did discipleship in the community of the church. Okay? But many of these Christians, new Christians, remember, they were foreigners. They were only staying in Jerusalem just for the feast. But now they're Christians. They just met the church. So you don't get baptized and just leave, right? You get baptized and you get to understand what you actually do so that you can grow and tell other people about it. That's what they did. So they had to stay there. I mean, they just, it's not that they had to stay there. They wanted to stay there. So they as a collective said, you know what? You can stay. We'll help you out. That is why they had everything in common. That is why the people who came there with their possessions, they gave it to each other. And the people who lived in Judea and Jerusalem said, you know what? We're going to sell our possessions so that you guys can stay with us for a long time. That's what they did. They shared everything together in common. That's why in verse 45, that's what they, they said. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They served one another in that community. They didn't just sit down and go, oh, are we done? Are we done our meeting? Are we done the Bible study? Conclude already so I can leave. They didn't do that. They were really there, real time, real life. They shared with each other. Okay? Now, the question is this. 3,000 Christians? How are they doing this? Like, exactly, where are they actually doing this? What place do they have so that they can actually do discipleship and community like this? Well, we see that in verse 46. Every day, they continued to meet together where? In the temple courts. Note that they were not meeting in the temple. They were meeting in the temple courts. If you have a picture of the, the place you know, like the original temple there, you see there's a lot of courts. And these courts could literally hold tens of thousands of people. It's outside. It's not inside. It's outside. Tens of thousands of people. They met there. But they did not only meet there. They also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met in temple courts and in their homes. Do you guys see this? We're saying, well, how is small groups the key to discipleship and community? It's right there. The church back then gathered in big groups in the temple courts. And they gathered in small groups in their homes. See, the thing is, like, you're not going to find in, in the Bible a command. Well, the church has to meet in small groups. It's not necessary. Because if you look at the history, when you say... A congregation of the Lord's church, you're talking about a small group. You're talking about a house church. Because there's no such thing back then as like a big cathedral where everybody came together. And besides, they were severely limited by their mobility. You guys understand, like today, you know, I don't know, like what is the farthest you had, like any member here had, had to travel to come here? Maybe an hour? Back then they couldn't do that. Where you lived is where you went to church. You went to somebody's house. And you knew everybody. 
and you're a member of the house that you're in, of the house church that you're in, the amount of people that can fit that house. And it's not a lot. Okay? The church was the small group. And the small groups were the church. That's what they did. Now, we have to understand that, you know, we see as well in Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. When they were in the temple, the apostles were preaching. We see that in Acts chapter 3. Peter was preaching. They were healing there as well. They gathered there as a big group. But then as a small group, it's a necessary inference that we'll have to make. When they're in the small groups, they were a small group. Right? When they gathered in their homes, they were a small group. Because that can only be held. A home can only hold so many people. And that's what they did from house to house. That is the key. So small groups were essential to the early church. And because small groups are, were essential to the early church today, I submit to all of us that small groups are essential to the church today. Now, the question is this. How exactly are these small groups essential to us today? When we, ask, when we talk about how something is very important, the first thing that comes to mind is why. The first thing that comes to mind is purpose. What is the purpose of small groups? Okay. And when we talk about purpose, very important. Because, you know, I was in the military. And in the military, one of the first things that the military inculcated in me is a lot of leadership stuff. Okay. One of the things that I learned about leadership is the why. Early on in my career, I learned that there's a difference, that one of the big differences between a good person or a good organization and a great person and a great organization is their understanding of purpose. Why do they do what they do? See, you go out, you ask anyone what they do, they'll tell you. That's the easy part. Anybody can tell, can tell anyone what they do. Anyone. But here's the rare thing, okay? Not a lot of people can tell you why they do what they do. Not a lot. It's rare for individuals or organizations to be able to do that. But the church, we know why we are here. Why are you here? We need to understand that. We can't just come here. We can't just do what we do. We can't just say small groups are essential because somebody said it's essential. I'm a Christian because somebody told me I should be a Christian. I'm here because my parents told me that I should be here. That's, that's not it. We need to ground ourselves with our purpose and our mission and the why. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 21. Okay? Jesus Christ himself said, Behold, I have made all things new. Do you guys remember that promise? I have made all things new. This is the crux of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're new. We're new creatures. When you are in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Your old person has died. That old person of sin, gone. Now what has taken over is your new person. 
in Jesus Christ. That is why we say that our spiritual growth, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Because that doesn't happen overnight. God wants to restore his image in us. There's an image of God in us that is continually being restored every single day as we grow, as we are discipled. Okay? And that happens when slowly but surely we're putting away sin from our lives. Slowly but surely. Now here's the thing. You can't do that on your own. Try as you might. And I know many of us have tried to, you know, there's sin and struggle in our life and we want to do it all on ourselves. We have struggles with our relationships, with our spouses, with our children, with our relatives, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our friends, with society, with the law, with drugs. And we try to do it on our own and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because we have not been made that way. There are things in this world that we cannot do on our own. Let me give you an illustration. I'll ask you this. Raise your hands if you learned how to drive by yourself. People are raising their hands, okay? So I am assuming that you read the book by yourselves, driving books. And I'm assuming that you bought your own car to learn in. And I'm assuming that you did not ask anyone how the shifter works, how the first gear works, how the clutch works. You did it all on your own. Somebody was telling you, oh, shh, no, no, I got it. You did that. I'm assuming that you also drove yourself to your test. Or no, you didn't because you couldn't because you couldn't drive, right? So you took a cab. Oh, wait, somebody was in the cab driving you. Oh, you couldn't. Well, you walked. You walked to your test. And then you got your driver's license because you're just that good. Now, with all those, I'm going to ask you again. How many of you guys learned how to drive by yourselves? We're trying to do discipleship by ourselves. We're trying to become more and more like Jesus by ourselves. You know what Jesus, one of the first things that he did when he came to earth? He created a small group. You know what the small group, you know who they were? The 12 disciples. Yes, he had big groups of people that came to him when he preached. The big groups, right? But the majority of the time, he was with this small group. He told his disciples, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He didn't say, come follow me and every Sunday we'll come to church and we will, you will sit down and listen to me for an hour and you go, you do whatever you want during the week and then you come back again on Sunday and then we do stuff again. And then after three years, you're going to be ready. He didn't say that. They did life together. They ate together. They traveled together. Literally, they live together. That is what we need to understand about our purpose. When we say that we want to become like Jesus, that is salvation. We didn't just, our salvation is not just like, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven one day. 
that is very limited. That is not what Jesus meant when he said he wants to save us. We are saved from sin so that he can save us for something. So that we can be his people. We can be the light of the world. And to become a light of the world, we need to, we need to imitate Jesus so people can see Jesus in us. And that is a constant work that happens every day. It doesn't stop. You don't retire from being a Christian. It keeps on going. You don't go, after you get married, you don't go, oh, I'm married now. I guess I don't need to be nice to you. You talk to your wife or your husband. You don't do that. You're probably laughing because you probably, you probably know people who've done that. Nobody should do that. When we get baptized into Christ, it's just the start of our relationship with God. We're going to keep growing after that. Now, okay, some of you guys were probably saying, well, Jay, small groups. Are we just, why are we adding more work? Why are we having more stuff to our calendar? We're already busy. Why are we going to meet with small groups now? We have this and we have this. Remember what the church did? They met in the temple courts and they met in their homes. Big groups. This is essential. But it's also essential that we have a small group of people that we can trust so that in that group we can actually practice our faith with them. See, when we grow, God has told us that we need to grow in our love for God and for one another. You know, the Bible is replete with one another commands. This is what the church did. I'm just going to mention to you some. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive, be patient with, speak the truth in love, be kind or, and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, submit, consider, look to the interests of one another, bear with one another, teach one another, comfort one another, um, show hospitality to one another, confess your sins to one another, Think about those one another's. How easy is that to do right now? Can anyone really do any of that with substance in a gathering like this, in a crowd? Impossible. We have to have that small group of people that we trust. That small group can teach us Right? Can, can teach us, can, can, hold on, what, what am I have here? Okay. So here, listen. Um, I'll, I'll go back to this. We need to have a small group of people, sorry, I'm clicking here. We need to have a small group of people where we can do what the early church did. Where we can study the Bible together. Where we can worship and pray together where we can really practice koinonia fellowship together in real life. See, friendships are not programmed. You know, if you read the writings of old, old, early Christians back in like the first, second, third century, like all these guys would say that relationship that they have, 
is like spiritual friendship. You can't program that. You can't say, well, you know what? I need to call Tim because I'm close to him. And I'm going to call Tim and I'm going to ask him. Oh, yeah, uh, Tim, I have a problem right now. And Tim's going, no, no, uh, our group meets on Wednesdays. Today is Monday. You can't call me right now. That's program. You don't program friendships like that. It has to be real life. Now, I'm, we're almost done here, but I just want to encourage all of us here. I know this is something that we're not used to, this idea of small groups. Although in our congregation, there's already a lot of small groups. If you don't find yourselves in one yet, I encourage you today, just do this 1% thing for me today. Not for me, but for your relationship with God. Think about the people in the church. And if you can find one or two people that you would like to approach and say, hey, can we do life together? Where we really, like, truly build an honest, true-to-life relationship with each other, where I can tell you what my struggles are, and I can help you with yours. And we can look at the Bible. We're not just going to study the Bible, because, you know, many of our groups right now, uh, in the Churches of Christ, we have small groups, they're Bible study groups. I'm not knocking Bible studies, they're very important. But we don't just study the Bible. In our scripture reading, we didn't say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, period. That's not the only thing that they did. They actually applied the apostles' teaching in the small groups. Okay? So we need to understand that in our small groups as well. If you can just zone in on one or two people, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband. Right? Read the Bible together. Pray together. Talk to each other about your struggles. Okay? But don't, don't, don't stop there. Maybe look around the church and go, after you've been doing it for like seven, six months, maybe a year, look out and go, you know what? There's another couple there that I think they would like to, you know, we could join together and have a small group together where we can really be honest with each other. We can't really be honest with all of, with all the church. We can't. Like, I'm one of the ministers here. I can't be close to each and every one of you. I can't have all of you calling me all the, you know what I'm saying? Like, just like Tim. Tim can't, can't, Tim cannot, uh, cannot, cannot afford to, for, for all of us to call him on one day or during the week. Because he's just one person. I'm just one person. I can't be close to all of you, not because I don't like you. Not because I don't want to. It's because I can't. Jesus Christ did not do that. Jesus Christ was not close to everybody. He was close to how many people? Twelve. If he, if he, Jesus Christ, did small groups, who am I to say I, I, I'm not doing that? He did it. And so we need to do it. Now, um, I, I'm going to go back here. Um, it, it doesn't show very well. But do you guys remember this? Maybe it's a good thing that it didn't. Do you guys remember this passage? It's in John chapter 13. Do you guys remember it? That's right. See, Dougie. Dougie knows. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus Christ tells us this new commandment that he's giving us. 
Okay, you remember that one another command that said, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the commandment of Jesus? What is the commandment of Jesus? This is it right here. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that just, just, uh, just, ha- you know, just as I love you, you love one another. So, in a manner of speaking, Jesus is saying, there's this new command that I want you to do. Love one another the same way that I loved you. And look, look at this. By this, everyone will know that you come from me. Everyone will know that you're Christians. The world out there is gauging our message by the love that we have for each other. If the love that we have for each other is so shallow that we only know each other from church, do you think they're going to be convinced that Christianity is the way to go? I don't think so. Now, this is what the early church did, right? Look at what happened when they do discipleship in community, in big groups and small groups. Look, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were growing. See, if we are not becoming more and more like Jesus every day, we are not going to grow. We're going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck. If we're not growing like Jesus uh, every single day, we're always going to see the 20% of people doing 90% of the work. And when people come, they're going to go, well, I'm not being cared here. They're going to leave. Our front door cannot be as wide as our back door. People come and they leave. As we grow in number, in a way, we need to be smaller in our fellowship, in our koinonia fellowship. That's why small groups are very important to our church today. Now, our, our song, our closing song is called, what is it called, Chad? Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Okay, this is our goal. This is why we want to grow. It's because we want Jesus' light to be seen in me. But as we sing this song, I want us to remember that the light of Jesus, that we're not going to grow to the point that you know, the light of Jesus is going to be seen in us without one another. We need each other so that, that God can cause us can cause his beauty to be seen in all of us. Have a good morning.